the MLB lockout is finally over. Draft season is now officially in full swing. Tonight, we'll tackle one of the more difficult aspects to deal with in fantasy baseball, bullpens. Greg Jewett and Eric Samolski of Reliever Recon join us next for our Mega Reliever episode on Beat the Shift. Welcome to another episode of the Beat the Shift podcast, presented by Fangraphs. I am your host, Ariel Cohen, and with me as always is Ruven Guy. How are you, Ruven? I'm doing great. How are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic, and we've got such exciting news today. Of course, I'm referring to the Beat the Shift podcast t-shirts that we have on sale now at Rotoware. You see those, Ruven? Yes, I did. They look very nice, um, and I think everyone should go and get one. Absolutely. Go on to Rotoware, check it out on uh, on my Twitter uh, feed, and you can get it. And that is, well, that's not the big news today. Of course, the big news today is that you can join my softball league uh, on Tuesday nights in New York. That's not the big, uh, that's not no, the big news? No, because then I'd ask people to join my softball league also, so that's not it. No. <laughs> oh, I, my I goodness. Think some, I think it has something to do with the lockout. That's what I think it is. Yes, we're saved. Lockout is over. Um, you have to have heard this. Uh, by now, we're talking, finally, the players got an increased minimum salary, pre-arbitration, bonus pool. We got a 12-team postseason. We've got a 16 draft lottery. We've got a universal NLDH. Doubleheaders are back to nine innings. No more ghost runners in extra innings. Oh, my goodness. Ruvain, are you, are you, how excited are you? I am very excited, but I haven't heard anything about whether they're going to ban the shift. Because if they do, do we have to change the name of this podcast? You know, I've gotten that, I've gotten that question about ten thousand times over the past uh, couple of days here. So, uh, yeah, well, we don't know. But uh, anyways, let's bring on. A, we have a couple of guys, uh, a couple of guests on the show from Reliever Recon. This is our relief pitcher episode. Two guys that are going to share in the smiling and the adulation of. Oh, where baseball is back. Uh, first, we have Greg Jewett, who also writes for The Athletic, and Eric Samolski, who also writes with us over at Roto Bowler, all from Roster Resource. Guys, welcome to the show. Greg and Eric, how are you? Thanks for having us. I'm doing well, thank you. Yes, it's, uh, as we said off air, I can sleep a little easier at night, having uh, launched my own little site there and then having to watch this lockout. Unbelievable. Well, it's over here, and uh, we're now back on schedule. And, uh, you know, we were joking before the show that, uh, you know, things might change very, very quickly in the closer and saves and reliever landscape, which is what we'll talk about today. Our strategy section is all about what what do we do in drafts to handle the relievers, closers, middle relievers, all that. So I'll just throw this out to you guys first, uh, Greg, and then Eric, is, you know, what would you, can you describe what the general closer landscape is and how does this differ from past seasons? Well, I think a lot of it has to do with context and people are seeing like the ADP uh, numbers coming out and, and they're freaking out a little bit, but most of the ADP that's aggregated, you know, as you, as you both know, is, is the draft and hold. So there's no pickups in these leagues. So, you know, 
I think there's some sticker shock with people and everyone's trying to make their plan and what they're going to do. Uh, the numbers are not quite as bad in the 12-team OCs on the NFBC, and I think the home leagues might align a lot closer, especially with what you saw closers going at a discount in the uh, the 15-team mixed tout and mixed labor drafts. Uh, so uh, there's still going to be some time, and then what we really want to see is how many of these landscapes are going to change here. We, we, we could have... I, I would think we could have at least five teams have their closer situation be changing in the next three days once all of these free agent and trade things start to uh, start to happen. So, you know, we joked off air that w- within 12 hours, some of this information could already be outdated, but, but that's okay because that means things are moving and we're going to have that happen. But the, the lack of a secure one closer situation in baseball right now is what's causing this scarcity and the you know the the draft capital going up as you know we we've talked about and I've written about often on relief recon well we'll talk about some of the situations exactly a little bit later in the show but anything to add to that Eric no, Greg's done a really good job at Reliever Econ kind of tracking ADP and ADP trends between January and February and also in, you know, the 12 teams and the 15 teams. And I think, you know, as you mentioned, we're seeing the trend come down a little bit on average right now. It's about six relievers um, within the first 60 picks um, and then around 10 or 11 within the first 100 picks. Um, so, you know, I think everybody was freaking out when you saw Hayter and Hendricks that early, but really 10 relievers in the first 100 picks of the draft is not a drastic difference than what we've seen in years past, maybe one or two more than than usual, but it's not anything that I think is really going to be this kind of like chaotic shift in your in your draft approach. There are some things we'll talk about later where you may want to reach higher than you usually do to get a guy you feel comfortable with. But I think overall relievers aren't being pushed up as um, as much as kind of was was exaggerated early on based on the drafts and holds. Ruben, anything else? Yeah, I, this is the artificial inflation of the lockout due to the fact that we didn't know where half the closers were going to be. Even our best guesses are always going to be wrong. And you know what? Even if you don't go for the top guys, we usually spend most of our money on fab for closers and for stolen bases anyway. So it's up to you if you want to stay with the trend or if you want to buck the trend. Yeah. So, you know, in, in general, it's, you know, closers, if you look at how they're priced in drafts or how they are in auctions, they, they're they always priced a little bit more than what uh, our projection numbers would say. You know, if I see the top uh, closer should be worth about $19 in a 5x5 15-team league, they go 21 22 or so, uh, just a couple dollars over. Um what is your your sense of the best way to uh, to navigate closers, especially this year where, well, I mean, right now there are uncertain situations and obviously there are team usages that, that are different. Uh, there's no lockdown guy. You know, there are certain bullpen situations where we don't have anybody. But um, are you... Are you advocating in in, gen, in the general sense paying up for a steep price, getting an elite closer? Do you think that the better prices are found in the middle? Are you just throwing cheap ones and getting quantity? Are you just avoiding anything and going dart dart? Now maybe you can just talk about this and 
in the context of what kind of league format? Because you, you know you mentioned at the outset, in in a draft champions is different than like a points league or a roto league. Mm-hmm. Maybe you could talk about some of how you would plan that in each of the formats. So I'll start with you, Eric. Uh, what, what would you say is the general sense to play? Sure. So for for me personally, and I think you know this kind of goes for a lot of us at, at reliever recon. I think there's maybe ten or eleven closers that feel pretty safe and secure in terms of their their role. Um, and we can talk about those guys as we go through. And then it it really does become kind of a cluttered mess. And some of that may get get um, you know cleaned up a little bit in the next coming days when people who we don't know have a role wind up getting a role, and that expands maybe to like 12, 13, 14 closers. But but we've pretty consistently in the articles, and I personally feel like I need to get at least one of those guys in that top tier. Makes me feel a lot better about, you know, maybe taking some chances later on. There are some guys that that kind of get, um, you know, passed over because they're not, you know, sexy, trendy names. But this is not a year where I want to go fully cheap on closers and wait and wait and wait and wait and just try to piece together things at the very end. The only league that I would do that in is... If I was in a head-to-head league and I felt like maybe I wanted to punt saves and not worry about paying the price for closers and just get a lot of like really high ratio, high strikeout relievers and know that I can win every category in my head-to-head league besides saves. But that's really the only league type where I would even think about not trying to get at least one firm established closer you know, in the, those first kind of like 70, 80 picks. Ruvain, let's go to you next. I actually don't like going to the top because I don't like spending that much uh, draft capital on the top guys. Yes, they are safe, but the middle guys, you know, they're just as, sometimes they're just as good. It's just a matter of picking the right one. And every year you can pick one. You never know it's going to be the right one. I mean, a couple of years ago, Edwin Diaz was a number one, number two closer. And he ended up being, ended up being maybe top 10, but he just wasn't, didn't have it. And then you have a guy like Jake McGee last year who was, barely drafted and all of a sudden he's got all these he saves and and you really don't know i i i prefer to spend it in the middle and toward the end and you know what if you get three or four in your during the course of your draft you'll hit on one of them hopefully and if you hit on one then you don't have to scour the waiver wire for another one or another two and that's it yeah i mean i think that my point of view is that you should buy closers or or anything any kind of quantity any kind of asset in in fantasy league to make it easier and more flexible to build your team around later and if it means that if you're in whatever format you're in if you're buying a closer and it makes it easier to navigate the rest then do it so in a dc i think it's justified to push up closers a lot because now you don't have to scramble for saves later where when you have to take some other power or speed guys you know if you're in a straight roto you should be taking a closer in your top six latest seven rounds. I don't know if you, you can even make it to there because you do also do not want to scramble for uh, for closers, uh, for, for saves later. And by the same token, I don't recommend taking two top closers because then you're going to have to scramble to take saves or power or something else. You need to, whatever you do, make it easier to navigate the rest of the draft and to give you the most options for, okay, now I can take this this one or this one. Maybe I can address this category or this category. You don't want to stifle yourself into any corner if that makes sense. And it's true in an auction also. You know, de- Depending upon the pricing, if the pricing of closers is low enough, you take it. If the pricing is too high, 
you, you don't. And you navigate it later where it might be easier in the middle. Uh, so every auction or draft is differently, but that's the general sense of what to do. And I've personally found that with closers, especially in a draft, you are better off taking somebody in the first six rounds these days. Not the first two, but in the, in the fourth, fifth, sixth round, because that's going to help you the most navigate it. Greg, did you agree with that and your thoughts? Yeah, I, I think it's all about comfort and context. You know, how comfortable are you chasing saves? Do, do you not want to have to deal with the, the Sunday night sweats figuring out where the next save is coming from in Cincinnati or one of these other teams that has a fluid situation? And, and, and the context of your league. I mean, you know, if you're in a home league and you've been playing with the same guys for 10 years, you should have a pretty good sense on how they handle uh, saves and closers in your league. Like my old home league that I'm, I'm no longer in, um, just because of the timing and everything, every year the, the, the inflation rate on closers is outrageous, which kind of caused me to start finding closers in season and later year, which, which somehow led me down this path to the niche that I'm in. But address what you are comfortable with. If you're not comfortable paying for Hader and Hendricks, that's okay. Wait till wait till the Iglesias and Claus Apex go, and then usually that's where the first little mini run happens. If you're comfortable with Ryan Presley, then you get him right there. But you just have to be careful you don't get on the wrong end of the runs in like a 15-teamer. I think it's a lot easier to navigate in a 12-team uh, than it is in a 15 because sometimes y- you play the ADP chicken game, as uh, DVR says, and all of a sudden you're on the wrong end of the run and now you're you're paying too much for somebody that you may not want because you're chasing the category. And in that situation, I really think you need to have a plan when you come in. It's like, all right, draw a line at the tier. I want a guy by here. And if I don't get him, then this is going to be my fallback situation and, and just go from there. And, and again, as, as we're recording this, everything's going to start happening within the next 12 hours. See what the situations that start to settle, and then you can start finding your, your other middle-tier targets that, that Ruvain was referring to and, and what situations that you feel most comfortable entering in. So comfortability and context with closers, I think, is a key to success. I, think I just want to highlight one one thing before we move on. I think Greg's point about knowing your talent is super important. There are some people who are really good at scouring the waiver wire for saves. They're constantly reading news. They're ahead of it. They know who's getting the ancillary saves. They can pick it up. And if that's you, year after year, you're able to nab closers off the waiver wire, then you can take a little bit more risk and wait on guys in your draft. If that's not you and you're consistently missing closers on the waiver wire year after year, then maybe you need to be a little bit more aggressive for yourself because you're playing to your particular skill set. And it's important that we always understand what our skills are when we're drafting and don't just do, you know, what experts say or what ADP says, because that doesn't take into account what we're actually good at as fantasy players. You know, you mentioned the waiver wire, Eric, and, uh, you know, last year there was one team in every NFBC league, and I'm sure the same is true about uh, home leagues, where people just spent some ridiculous 30% of their fab on literally the Toronto Blue Jays situation itself, to Merriweather, back to Romano, back to Merriweather, to Romano, who's the next guy, and it just—it just—it was just a colossal loss of, of mm-hmm. waiver wire capital. Um, do you think that as we go on in 2022, where there are more, there are more injuries, so you've got to spend more 
percentage of your fab capital on injuries, and there are more platoons, so you might have to avail yourself more in the waiver wire, swapping in and streaming guys and all that. Do you think that we've gotten to the point where the draft capital on saves is worth paying the extra dollar for a better, more reliable one, rather than saying, you know what, I'm, I'm going to play the waiver wire. Yeah, everyone does it. Yeah, it'll be 200 bucks. Is it even reliable to say I'm going to spend two, 300 bucks on closers? I mean, you can end up with nothing just like last year. Yeah, I think, listen, I mean, I would then argue that somebody picked up Emmanuel Classe or Jake McGee or guys like that and, you know, were, were laughing for a long period of time in their in their seasons. So I, I think there are still waiver wire success stories. But yeah, to your point, I historically have always had always been a fantasy player who thought I'm going to take my high upside risky closers late in the draft. One of them will hit and then I'll scour the waiver wire and I'll find closers after that. And for years that worked for me. And the last couple of years, it just has been you know, way more negatives, way more money spent. And that's why I've moved to at least taking one sure thing. Um, so I definitely think, you know, the trend has been to move away from being so reliant on the waiver wire. But I do think, you know, if you have one, maybe two spots that you're churning, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And we'll talk about this later because I know it's on the rundown. I just think that maybe we have to move, um, we have to accept that, if a guy is not a primary closer, it doesn't mean he needs to be cut from our roster. That there are a lot of relief pitchers across fantasy baseball who are going to be in the saves mix, but maybe not the primary closer, and are worthy of being on fantasy rosters, especially in 15-team leagues, for the entire season, um, and shouldn't just kind of be churned for, oh, hey, I might get you know Julian Merriweather. He's now the, the, you know, the Blue Jays' closer, and now that's a weak of production and now you lost a reliever who's actually pretty good who you cut because you thought he wasn't going to get 25 saves. Well, let's talk a little bit about holds because uh, a lot of people out there do play in leagues that either have holds category by itself or more commonly now save plus holds, which we're not going to argue today whether it's better or worse, but let's just talk <laughs> about you know how, how we deal with it. How does the strategy change, uh, Greg, when you're moving to a save plus holds league? Obviously, you know, you're picking players. We don't care if Kenley Jansen signs in Los Angeles. Blake Trine is a superstar in a save plus holds format. Mm-hmm. How, how do you change the general strategy when you move to that? Well, when you, when you shift into a saves plus holds, now you're really rewarding pitchers with skill. Uh, so I, in this situation, I want guys on winning teams. Uh, that manage bullpens well, and then have strong K to BB rates. I mean, this this is where a guy like you just referenced, Trine and Shines. Uh, Tyler Rogers last year was sold's gold um, because he got some saves. He got, he got a ton of holds. He was pitching all the time. Uh, so, so you're going to identify. So like this year, I think there's some, some really good bullpens. You know, the Seattle bullpen, we're pulling our hair out trying to figure out is Ken Giles going to be the closer? Is Paul Seawall going to be the closer? Is is Diego Castillo going to be in the save mix? But now in, in this format, you throw all that out of the window, all three of those guys have value because 
And as as a matter of fact, I think Giles is reliant on saves on on a skills point basis right now. I'd probably rather have Seawald first and Castillo second in that in that scenario with that bullpen. Now you look to bullpens like the Rays that win a bunch of games. They don't have starters that go deep into them. So now you're getting three, four guys are getting holds in, in a win during a game. So these are these are the things. So this year I would be looking at the Dodgers because they have a very deep bullpen and they don't have a very strong pitching staff right now as presently constructed. Uh, you're looking at the Blue Jays because they have a pretty good bullpen. I, I, I've heard people saying the bullpen's not good, but I, I beg to differ. Uh, Trevor Richards was very good last year. Tim Mize is a very good reliever. He's going to be like a little bit of their lefty specialist. Uh, I think the Mets bullpen could be good because uh, Showalter loves using his bullpen. So, you know, we all make fun of or we all joke about the, the Zach Britton thing in the playoffs. But normally Showalter is, you know, he's he's pretty he's pretty linear with his bullpen thing. And he and he gets those guys in there. So guys like Trevor May are going to get a little bump up in this in this kind of a format. So again, you want guys on good teams, Loisica, Chad Green, these guys are also very good in, in this format. You want people with the good skills that are on good teams. That's that's where you're trying to land your stuff, you know. When you're not just looking for a save. Now, this kind of a format, the Souls, this depresses teams like the Pirates and other places where there's not a lot of wins because now those holes don't aggregate, if that makes sense. Yeah. Ruvain, we, we uh, often talk about a roster and closer handcuffs, and I know we've done this type of strategy, you and me together in leagues. Now, there, there are two basic types. I mean, I, I mean, nothing is classified exactly, but the two basic types of handcuff situations are we have a pretty set closer, and then you want to get the backup, right? So there's an injury, you have the guy, but then there's a situation of you just don't know, so you get both. You know, example of this, you know, the Giants, we don't really know. Is it Camilo Duvall? Is it Jake McGee? Maybe it's Rogers. We don't know. So you pick up a couple of them, and this way you have a whole situation. Whether it's good to do that or not depends on the price or whatever. But what what are your thoughts about doing that for this particular year? I think this is the year of the handcuff. I think if especially if you're in a saves and hold league, getting the handcuff, you're getting the save, and you're getting you're possibly getting the save and the hold. Especially if you get two of those guys in the Seattle bullpen, or even the best example I think would be Boston. If Boston keeps their situation where they are, Garrett Whitlock was almost more valuable last year than Matt Barnes, but Matt Barnes gets the saves. And Garrett Whitlock gets you all the strikeouts and and, and, and amazing ratios. So ha- having the handcuff there, you get both. You get the best of both worlds, and I think that's the best way to put it. It also covers you in case you don't get the right guy. Let's say you're going after the Pittsburgh situation. Let's say you want David Bednar, who's going pretty early. If you want David Bednar, that's great. But last year, Pittsburgh didn't use Bednar as a closer. They used Chris, Chris Stratton as a closer, and he got all the saves while Bednar played in the high leverage situation. So. The handcuffs are great, but you have to know which organization you're getting these closers from and, and what they feel, whether they want the best pitcher in the highest leverage situation or they want the best pitcher in the ninth inning. So, so Eric, do, do you agree? And do are there certain situations that people are drafting as handcuffs that you like and certain ones that you want to stay away from this year? Yeah, I, I definitely agree with what Ruvain is saying in the sense of, you know, knowing the team, right? So I think that sometimes we think like, oh, the, you know, the Astros are uh, one of the best teams in baseball, so I'll get Ryan Presley and then I'll handcuff him. It's not that way like it is with, you know, with football. You don't just take the backup to a good closer and think, oh, if this closer gets hurt, 
I'll have the backup because teams don't operate like that anymore. They use multiple guys. So I think you need to look at the team construction um, and then also look at the pitcher. If, if it is a good pitcher that who could come in and take the role and be a solid closer, fine. But if it's a pitcher who's not that great, but is the backup and you think, oh, he'll just get saves, that wouldn't be a, a situation that I would be for. And that's kind of why like, I, I really like the Seattle bullpen, as Greg mentioned before. I think a lot of people are drafting Ken Giles, but Paul Sewold is going way too late for me because I know what he's going to give me out of the bullpen in terms of ratios and, and strikeouts per nine. And if he gets 10 saves because he's, you know, the quote unquote handcuff, you know, Greg likes to use it as kind of like the primary and the ancillary save option which I think is a really good way to look at it, is like a lot of these teams have closer 1A and closer 1B. Um, and Seattle is is one of those. I think, you know, in Tampa, especially in deep leagues, like everybody's drafting Andrew Kittridge early, but I think Peter Fairbanks is also somebody who could be in the mix for saves and is going to get high leverage innings. We know Kansas City is going to use multiple relievers, so Scott Barlow's there, but Josh Stalmont is still going to be involved. You mentioned San Francisco, you know, Doval and McGee. There are a lot of situations like that where um, most likely in Minnesota, I mean, we at Reliever Recon really like Taylor Rogers, but Alcala is another guy who I think if you're getting Rogers early, getting Alcala late as a, as a right-handed, you know, compliment, not even handcuff. But compliment, I think, is a, is a strategy that works as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I in TGFBI, I I have Rogers, and I was about to take Alcala, and the guy sniped me right before me, uh, <laughs> late in the twenty uh, fifth round, twenty uh, seventh round, actually. Uh, but yeah, that's a great suggestion. Uh, I'm staying away from the Giants situation. I think that it, that pair is too expensive. Like Rogers, Alcala, you get Rogers at a reasonable price, and Alcala late, which is cheap. You're not getting that with Duval McGee. You have to pay up for Duval, and you also have to pay a hefty price for McGee. I'm interested in another situation. Get your thoughts on this, Greg. Um, the Padres, Pierce Johnson, Denelson Lamette, they're both going pretty cheap. And I kind of think if you get both of them, you might be able to get a situation of a team that might be able to generate a lot of saves. What do you think of that one? There's a guy you didn't mention, too. <laughs> I'll say that the, the, the biggest jump in EDP from January to February in that bullpen was Robert Suarez. I mean, that's oh, where the yes, NFBC yes. players are, are throwing their dart. If I can be honest, I really, truly think that the, 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 the leader in saves on this team is not on the roster right now. They're, they're either going to trade for somebody or they're going to sign one of these uh, veterans with closer experience to come in there. And we know Bob Melvin usually prefers to have one guy back there during his time with the A's. I mean, he, he kind of waffled back and forth last year, but that was more based on how um, Trevino and Diekman were performing early on until Trevino kind of ran with the role for a little bit. Uh, so for me, I, I'm kind of I'm kind of staying away. I stayed away from this situation last year, and it, it burned me because I didn't get Melanson. I, you know, all the beat writers, and we, we still – curse about it behind the scenes about how they led us astray last year so I take anything they say with a grain of salt with the Padres uh, so right now I, I really want spring training to see I want to see who's pitching in the the fourth or fifth inning before the regulars leave the game because that's usually when the the closers are getting their work in during the spring uh, the spring training contest so I want to see what happens there or who who they end up bringing in or adding I, I you know I really I 
skills from a skill standpoint, I think Lamette could do very well. I just don't know if his elbow would hold up, you know, because closers have to pitch back-to-back days or sometimes two and three days. I don't know if his elbow could handle that. And there, Kevin AC is still saying that the team sees him as as a swing guy. So maybe you know two inning outings or uh, a you know, a spot start to give guys an extra day of rest and things of that nature. So I'm going to let somebody else to throw the dart right now in that situation personally. All right. Good stuff there. Um, time for the short answer, Ruvain closer questions. I know Ruvain <laughs> asks a bunch of these types of questions every year. Uh, Ruvain, why don't you uh, ask these questions and we'll all uh, give a couple of short answers as to yay or nay on these. Okay. So I always ask this one whenever we're trying to make our plan to figure out which closers we want. I always ask these questions constantly, and Ariel's probably sick of me saying asking them already. But <laughs> first question, do you always or should you pick a closer that's supposed to be on a good team? What what I want is a closer with a, with a clear path to saves. I don't really care how good of the team he's on. I mean, obviously, the better the team, the more save opportunities that will happen. However, you know... I don't love Mark Melanson this year, but could he could he fall backwards into twenty five saves? Sure. Eric. Yeah, I I think it's yes and no, which I know is is terrible for this, <laughs> but but I do think that sure if you can get a rock solid closer on a good team like you know Liam Hendricks or Josh Hader, then great. That's why they're going so high. But otherwise, I mean, you know, there are bad teams that. When they win games, they win games by one or two runs, and then their closers, you know, get a lot of saves. Also, there are good teams like Tampa that don't just have one closer. So I, I don't think you're I don't think you're always looking for good teams. I look at it as like I look at the role first, then I look at the skill of the pitcher in the role, and then I look at the skill of the pitcher in the role on a good team. And that's kind of like the third thing that might put the feather in the cap of somebody. I mean, in, in general, the better a team is, the more saves they get. So in general, the answer is yes. Uh, I like closers that are on teams that have that don't win games by very much. You want teams that are playing close games. So if you can pick that out, that's probably even more important. I would say to me, the path that, that I want somebody that has a clear pathway to saves. That no matter what team he's on. And, and, and again, that's why you're seeing the guys that are moving up because we know their role. Well, yes, you know that the good, the good uh, players on the good teams are going to get their saves, but even the closers on the Royals and the closers on the Tigers this year, they're going to get their saves. I mean, just a couple of years ago, um, the Tigers had a closer, and he did very well, and then he got oh, traded. Shane Green. He wasn't a closer. Shane Green. <laughs> and Shane Green racked up all these saves and like i said at the time you know what it doesn't matter he still saves still count they don't take them away if they trade him away and he loses his job so it doesn't matter if it's on a great a good team it could help because he'll get saves throughout the entire year if you're on a better a worse team there's more of a chance you can get traded and that's that's an issue as well and they can lose their job second question i'm going to start with eric first do you pick your closer based on skill or do you just take whoever has the role at the time uh, to a certain extent, yes, I pick my closer based on skill. Um, bad closers can can be bad pitchers can be solid closers in terms of saves, 
but they can also hurt your ratios and lose their job. So, you know, I, like right now, Carlos Estevez is essentially the closer on Colorado. And I don't think he's being drafted. Like he didn't get drafted at all in my TGFBI draft in a 15 team league. And he is apparently as of right now a closer because his ratios are horrible and he might get you 12 saves. And is that really worth, you know, what you're paying? So I, I want to make sure I'm drafting good players. Um, and that's that's why um, I have no shares of Mark Melanson this year. And I probably won't. Um, I, I just don't think that he's a really good pitcher. Um, and I think if he's not getting saves, he's not going to bring a lot to your team. So I'm really, if I'm drafting a guy like that, I'm throwing all of my eggs in the basket that he gets saves. And we know how fickle that is. So I'd rather draft pitchers I think are also really good pitchers. Greg? I, I weigh it sort of the way you phrase it. I'm, I'm more worried about skill, um, but I want clear pathways if I can get them. Um, if I can't get clear pathways, then I will take a guy, and, and you referenced this earlier, I call it an HLR on the athletic at the highest leverage reliever. Uh, a case in point for that would be Paul, Paul Seawald. Okay, so I, I don't know that he's going to be the closer because they have so many options, but if he gives me seven wins and 10 saves, then I'm happy and I can use him in a 15-team format. Not so much a 12-team format, but in a 15-team format, there, there's a lot of value in that. Uh, but but I, I am concerned about skill and role um, more exclusively than, uh, than, than the other stuff that's involved there. I think there's a limit to crappy players that you want on your team you're gonna have players that uh have a whip over a certain amount mm -hmm. uh those ratios great. yeah yeah and and on the converse uh, i like guys who have very high strikeout rates those are good because you're getting production in the strikeout department either way i think the the fab situation matters also if i can fab people pretty easily I'm okay with rostering guys more for the roles, less on skill, because I can churn it more. If you're in a situation like a DC where it's more based on skill, I stay away from him. So I'm going to stay away from Gregory Soto in a DC because, I don't know, the guy's going to walk the park every time. At some point, he's going to lose the role if he keeps doing that, and it's risky to, to roster those guys. But in a, fa in a fab format, yeah, take him. If he ain't the closer, he's, he's, hurting, your, your, uh, he's hurting your ratios for – Three weeks that you use them before you cut them. And the fact that now we know that all, all games and all doubleheaders will be nine innings long, mm -hmm. those middle relievers, if they're not going to get you a save, there's an even greater chance that they're going to get a win, especially if they're going to be a lot of doubleheaders because they have to make up the, the, the games for the first week that has to be re, uh, re, redone because of the lockout. Now, the third and final question that I want to ask, and Ari, I'll start with you this time. Do you avoid closers that could be traded and or lose their job like like on a bad team and also in the same sense do you avoid closer by committee because you don't know whether or not they have the job so the closers who could be traded no i don't avoid that because at worst i'm getting a half a season worth of production and at worst i'll try to trade somebody in in the end or or i'll fall into more saves or heck you know people lose their roles so i'm okay with drafting 3.5 or 2.5 closers on a team uh it, it's really hard to know who's going to be traded so uh, and, and if they get traded they can still be the closer it's still a possibility and they can still do well on teams so i don't avoid that but closer by committee situations talking about the rays the reds these days 
I am avoiding them when the price is is prohibitive. I don't want to invest in a one guy where I know he's going to get half a share of saves. Um, and that's why, like, Giovanni Gallegos, I don't know exactly the situation. I don't know that the Cardinals are going to let him run with it the whole way. So I'm hesitant to pay because I think it might be a safe share for him. Um, I, I won't invest high, but uh, I'm no, I have no problem with investing lower down on a guy if Kittredge is or—, or Peter Fairbanks is available at a nice price. That I have no problem if if the cost is cheap. Again, I'm a return on investment guy. You can either have a high return or a low investment. And so if there's a high investment, I'm usually out of it if I think the return is going to be half. Eric, what do you think? Do you want, do you avoid the closer that's going to be traded, or do you buy into the best player on the committee? Uh, I'm pretty much in lockstep with, with what Ariel said. I mean, I think also there are some closers that might get traded that would still be closers on another team. I know, um, you know, Greg has talked a lot about uh, closers that are on in the last year of their deal, and in particular, like Araldus Chapman um, is in the last year of his deal. If the Yankees fall out, we've already seen that they would trade him because they've done it before. Um, you know, that's a guy that, like, if he gets traded, he's probably closing where he gets traded. Um, and if the if the player is not closing uh, when they get traded, like, you know, Ian Kennedy last year, well, you know, if I drafted Ian Kennedy and I banked his, you know, 26 saves, I'm feeling pretty good even if I lost a closer for a portion of the season. Um, and then also to Ariel's point, yeah, if, if it's late in the draft, I'm sometimes actively seeking out a committee because I think there are, there are a lot of good pitchers who are in committees who are being pushed down into like the mid 300s, early 300s of ADPs because they're not quote unquote the closer. And I, I think if I have saves early on in the draft and I can draft a really good pitcher who might get 10 saves but help me in other places as well, those are the kind of guys I, I really like getting. Greg, what about you? I guess we're going to sweep the room. Be you know, I, I'm okay taking a closer that could end up being traded. You know, I think Taylor Rogers is one of them. Um, he already referenced Chapman. Will Smith is on an expiring contract, and the Braves brought in Yates, who could be ready by the second half. Uh, so just just be cognizant and and be be ready to move. And if you're going to take a guy in one of these committees, again, you focus on the skill. You, you want the guy that has the velocity, the ability to miss bats and, and limit contact. And, and those are the guys you, you put your, your targets on. And you at worst, you're getting ratio protection. You're not just swinging in the wind. And, and I also think another part, I believe they are capping the amount of pitchers on a staff to 13 this year. Interesting, interesting. Uh, I guess Otani would have some kind of different rules, or we'll we'll find out what those are. Mm -hmm. But uh, in any case, uh, before we go on to a couple of specific situations on teams, time for the Injury Gurus Trivia of the Week. All right, now we're going to talk about closers, and we're talking about skill and everything like that. So my question is me based on that. One of the situations where there may be a comp possible competition for saves is in Miami. You have Dylan Floro and you have Anthony Bender. Anthony Bender last year had a K per nine over 10 and a walk per nine under three for 60 innings. There were only 12 relief pitchers that over 50 innings had the similar K per nine over 10 and also the similar walk of under three in last year. But only six of those who pitched 50 innings 
had a K per nine over 10 and a, and a walk per nine under two. Who were they? Class A? Class A is not one of them. Remember, no, he didn't have a K three. per nine over 10. This, this is a K per nine over 10, a walk per nine under two, and at least 50 innings. K per nine over 10, walk per nine under two. That means good Are we control. talking, when you say at least 50 innings, are you talking just relievers? Just relievers. Just relievers. Okay. This is a reliever thing, so this is just relievers. Just making sure. Yes. Class A didn't have a K per nine over 10? Last year, no. Is is it, wasn't it Rizel? Rizel Iglesias is one of them. Presley? Yes. Ryan Presley? Yes. Number two. I'm going to throw out yeah. the other ones here. Liam Hendricks. I feel like the, uh, oh, well, Hendricks, yeah, yeah, I'll say Hendricks was the obvious. He was like walking one. nobody. In I don't want to go say the obvious one either. <laughs> you know? But the next three are interesting. One is still a free agent. One is on the Yankees. And one is on the Orioles. Chad Green? Chad Green is one. Colin McHugh is another. I'll say, yeah, McHugh. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And Tyler Wells. Which is I very liked, interesting. I like Tyler Wells. Would you touch any of those closers in Baltimore or in Colorado? I mean, just listen yes. to the. I mean, a K per nine over ten, <laughs> a walk per nine number under two for Tyler Wells. Are you going to go after those guys? Yes, I actually put it on the sheet when you had the rundown. Uh, when you said, "Do you avoid uh, certain teams altogether?" I said, it depends. I wrote on my own sheet, depends on the rest of your ratios, but also I really like Tyler Wells. Um, <laughs> I, I really like I really like Tyler Wells. Like I, I mean, you know, K minus walk rate is a big thing for me. His was 23.7 last year. He had a, you know, as you alluded to with the, with the control, he had a 0.91 whip, 190 batting average against. Um, I've watched, I watched him pitch cause I'm, I'm a Red Sox fan. So I watch a lot of AL East games. Um, I, I think the kid is just really good. So he's a guy where, you know, I'm, I put him on my roster and I feel like maybe I get 10, 15 saves in Baltimore, but also I get a lot of strikeouts and he's not going to kill my whip. And, you know, maybe he gets an ERA in the high threes, low fours. And I don't, I don't mind that where he's going in drafts. My counterpoint to that is I just don't like how Brandon Hyde uses closers. For sure. It's like last year, every time we thought we were getting the next closer in Baltimore, it was another guy the next week. Um, I remember there was a point Dylan Tate got like back-to-back saves and I'm like, oh, let's go get Dylan Tate. And then, oh, now Solser's back. And then you're like, oh, Hyde has never named a closer during his tenure in Baltimore. Sure, let's just say I picked up Dylan Tate. So obviously if I like if I like Tyler Wells, I've I have fallen into the trap. But um but but I'm also like his ADP right now is so low, Tyler Wells, <laughs> that you know, like I just looked right now in the last two weeks he's his ADP is three eighty six. So if you're taking him at three eighty six and he gets you ten saves but is getting you strikeouts and, and solid ratios, I still think that, that depending on, you know, the rest of your roster construction and who, where you, if you're, you know, set in saves elsewhere, uh, in particular in a 15 team league, I think that can be a valuable reliever for you. Uh, the only thing I'd say also about Wells in uh, the negative side is that his ground ball rate last year was 21%, 
fly ball rate almost 60%. Now, I know that the uh, Orioles moved the fences back, but those are very dangerous numbers for for closers or relievers. That ERA being under four, I think, is kind of hard to do. I mean, last year, with the whip of .91, he had a 4.11 ERA. Is a good whip, but the disconnect there, he might be giving up a lot of runs. So just watch yourself with that. He, he had very disparaging home road splits. Mm. I will say also his fly ball rate was, was 53 in the first half, which was in a much bigger sample size. So not great, but, not better, great but, but great, better than the full, the full season. And who knows? Who knows? Listen, I also I haven't drafted him anywhere yet um, because I've been getting my closers earlier. But I just think that I wouldn't write him off. I I, I like him as a pitcher. I, I understand what you're saying. In a 15 team, though, I'd rather have like Loisaga or Green because they might get you the same amount of saves and they're going to get you more wins. Sure. Yeah, I agree. True. Didn't think I'd be talking much about the Baltimore situation, <laughs> but you know, there you go. Uh, but Miami, um, Floro Bender. I mean, clearly Floro, I think, is the guy. Any worth it to stash Bender? I, I don't think Floro's the guy. I don't yeah, I no? don't think Floro's oh. the guy either. Oh, okay. Uh what's your take? Uh, I'm glad we're talking about this. What's your take on it? Well, I mean, a source told me that the Marlins are either going to add a second yeah, <laughs> my boy Mish told me they're either going to add a second tier reliever or um they'll trade for Trevino. He he says the team likes Floro as the eighth inning guy or somebody that can come in cuz he's very good at getting ground outs and dealing with traffic on the bases. They like him in like that seventh, eighth inning, higher leverage role. Um, and then if the person they trade for fails, then it would probably end up being Bender. So if I'm choosing between Bender and Flora right now, I'll take the discount on Bender and just hope for her upside. I'm not going to take, I'm not going to, there's like that little tear in there with Floro and a few other pitchers. I'm just letting somebody else take the chance. Good information there. Uh, Red Sox, uh, Ruben mentioned earlier, Garrett Whitlock, Matt Barnes. Whitlock's the better pitcher. But the rumors are, maybe you guys can, because you guys look into this more, that Whitlock is told to bring a starter glove, that he's going to yes. compete for a starting mm-hmm. rotation. Is that, how true How true is that? It's, it is true. Um, it's true in the sense of, you know, uh, Jen McCarthy, who covers the Red Sox for The Athletic, has mentioned it a few times. Whitlock has talked about it. Um, you know, I think they've been pretty open you know, he he was a starter before this before last season. And I think it's also important to know that, you know, he was even though we're not going to have a rule five draft this year and the owners want us to never have a rule five draft again. Um, he was he was a rule five pick. And really, the only reason that he was in the bullpen last year was because he had never pitched above double A. The Red Sox weren't comfortable putting him in the rotation right away. They put him in the bullpen. He did well. They kept him there. But he only, in his entire minor league career, only made one appearance that was not, uh, sorry, two appearances that were not as a starter. So he is a starter. He has the pitch mix to be a starter. He had really good success in the minors as a starter. So I, I have, I really like Garrett Whitlock and I have no shares of him this year because I just don't know what that role is going to be, but I don't think he's closing. I, I think, I think it, at worst he becomes what Tanner Houck was last year and start sometimes pitches three innings out of the bullpen sometimes, but I don't see him being the closer for them. You agree, Greg? And is it going to be Barnes then to start the year? Um, I agree on Whitlock. I, I, I think Boston's going to either bring somebody in for the ninth. 
Yeah. And I really think that they're 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 going to take some of their Tampa Bay roots from Bloom and apply it to the rotation and how they're going to mm-hmm. do this with with the thirteen pitcher rule. If that is in effect, um, you know you've got the starters at the top, but they brought in Waka and Hill to absorb innings. Those they might end up being piggyback guys with Whitlock and Hauk. I mean, you're going to need guys that can take multiple innings with with reduced numbers of pitchers in the in the uh, available on a daily basis you know and and which barns are we going to get the one who got 18 saves in the beginning of the season or the one from july 1st on that had an era of almost six so you know i i yeah this is a situation where jansen could end up or they'll they'll bring in somebody like uh it's hard for me to to say for sure but i I would think they're going to bring in a reliever or two with veteran you know closer experience Kennedy? And I don't know if Kennedy would be the right Kennedy to me would be a very good fit in Miami or going back to Texas because he's a fly ball he's a fly ball pitcher. So maybe trading back for for Kimbrell again. They they could. Oh. I, I could see that, but they I don't could. I don't they know could. if they would pay for yeah. it, but that's possible. I will I will say I, I I agree with Greg and Greg's all you know very smart and all knowing when it comes to relievers. I do think that <laughs> No, no, no. I do think that the Barnes hate has gone a little far in drafts mm-hmm. where He's going 270 now after um, Lou Trevino, after you know Joe Barlow, who I don't think is going to be closing in Texas for ever or for that long at all. You know Barnes Barnes has been a really good relief pitcher for the vast majority of his career, um, and definitely that that stretch last year was a very bad stretch. But they've talked about you know how often he was being used and the fact that he he got worn down and then changed his pitch mix and changed the way he attacked hitters because as a residual effect of how often he was being used and him kind of making alterations around how he felt his pitches weren't as effective as they were on normal rest or they were normally. So I I mean you know this is a guy who still has an ER a career ERA of 404 after you know a couple bad seasons early on transitioning to the bullpen and last year I, I don't see any reason why he can't be a high threes ERA pitcher who chips in some saves for you um, and I, I still think that that can be valuable even if as Greg says they kind of go to a Tampa Bay model where he's you know not the only closer but a closer. 38% strikeout rate last year. His problem, of course, is his walk. Right, it's all about the walk problem. rate with him, yep. Yeah. And, yeah. and Garrett Whitlock can learn again to become a starter. That's that's not that's not going to be the issue, especially because there's another reliever-turned-starter in that rotation in Chris Sale. Remember, Chris Sale started out as a closer for the yeah. White Sox before he was traded, so he can maybe learn some things to get back to where he was being a starter. And as for Barnes, his fly ball rate is for, was last year was 46%. That's a little high to be at, especially at Fenway Park. That's that's a little bit high. If he can get the ball on the ground a little bit more, then he, I mean, his striker rate's great. If he can, if he can get the ball on the ground a little more, then he should be able to hold his job. And not only that, if they have a better fielding infield and they have a good team, because remember when he first was made name closer a couple of years ago, the Red Sox weren't that good. Then they got better yeah. last year. And now all of a sudden they got a better defense and a better defense behind him. You get a better Matt Barnes. The fly ball rate was a little bit of an anomaly. He's been a low 30s fly ball rate for most of his career. Maybe that was abnormal. Maybe it was a fluke. Uh, his ground ball rate, though, still did stay consistent. It was still low 40s. So, um, you know, some of those line drives just lofted a little bit. Maybe chalk it up to 
whatever. Uh, and maybe they fixed him. But, yeah, so I guess our consensus here is Matt Barnes does have some value, and Luck's probably going to start. Uh, Ruvain, start with you on Toronto quickly. Uh, Jordan Romano, um, I mean, I think he's a fantastic pitcher. Um, and I personally would be okay with having him as my closer. Is Are they going to import somebody, or are you confident? Because I know you drafted Romano in some leagues. Are you confident that he's the guy? I am confident that he is the guy. I'm, I mean, listen, the Blue Jays are crazy. They'll go and sign someone for a gazillion dollars, and and they'll be the closer next week. But Jordan Romano was very, very good last year. His K rate was like tw- uh, 12. He's a fastball and slider pitcher only, so he's he's got the repertoire to be just the closer he, he want. And plus, remember, last year, Toronto had Kirby Yates while he was recovering from Tommy John surgery, and they let him walk because they probably thought they have something with Jordan Romano. So I think he is the guy. I don't think they're going to get anybody else. If they get someone else, it'll probably be at the trade deadline, not the beginning of the year. So you'll get your saves from Jordan Romano earlier in the year. Anyone disagreeing? I just like that Ariel said import because it was Canada. So they're going to import somebody <laughs> else. <laughs> I was say, no, I... And and, and I'll, I'll throw this to Ruvain because Romano, it came out that he pitched through a He had a meniscus. He had to get meniscus surgery. He was pitching from August on through an injury. I mean, his velocity went down a little bit, but he actually even got better. He had a 37 to 7 K That's to BB. That's a great sign, by the way. Yeah. How they I mean, trust him. Yeah. And, and, you know, after after they tried everybody but him, he finally took the role and ran with it. So. Um, I got pigeonholed with him getting the TGFBI, but I got him. In, I, I got him at a discount. So at that point, I said, "The heck with it." I missed the closer run, but I was like, "I'll take a chance here because if he gets it, I think he can be a top five closer." But maybe because maybe because he was pitching injured, he actually learned how to pitch instead of just throw the hard heat. So that, that may be why he did better because he's actually learning how to pitch. Yeah, he threw more fastballs and less sliders, and he had to get better with his location. That's I, I tracked that in my player profile on the site, and, and I and I spelled that out to everybody. I'm like, if he goes back to throwing more sliders, then the strikeout rate's going to get better. But if he can hold over those command games, I mean, again, you're, you're looking at somebody that, with health, could put together a very elite season. Tigers, Gregory Soto, Michael Fulmer, uh, some different kind of skills, some good skills in each. Greg, what do you make of that situation, and who are you uh, buying, and are you buying both, one or none? Um, in the off season, I was okay with Soto. I, I really want that walk rate to come down. If, if I can see he's pitching with better command in the spring, I'll probably be more in on him. I'm just worried about Fulmer and health. I mean, you know, it, it's like everyone's forgetting that Fulmer's had so many issues through the years, and one of them being a back issue, and I, I don't like I don't like back injuries. So, uh, you know, again, he, he was very good as a reliever. I just don't know that that's, that can carry over and continue. Um, and, and he's getting into his arbitration years too. So if the Tigers don't compete, he's, he's an easy trade uh, before the deadline. But um, and, and the Tigers are another team. They could surprise and come out and say, you know what, we're going to go get Jansen to anchor all of these young starting pitchers we have with – uh, Jansen to me is the big the big key in the offseason here. Where Jansen goes kind of will set the table, and then we kind of see if and when Kimbrel gets traded, and then all the other stuff falls in the line. Eric, you agree? Uh, yeah, I mean, I will say I, I like Fulmer, and I I agree with Greg on the risk. You know, currently his ADP over the last two weeks is is three hundred and thirty seven where I kind of feel like you can take a little bit of that risk there. I really like that in the second half of the year, 
He upped his slider percentage. He was throwing his slider 46% of the time in the second half. Um, and that slider was really good. It had an 18.9% swinging strike rate over that second half of the season. Um, so, you know, I, I think that he was pretty effective as a, as a reliever. And I'd rather, if I'm going to take any Tiger, I'll just say I'd rather wait till pick 337 and take Fulmer than Gregory Soto, who's going at pick 209 right now. And I'm not touching him at that ADP, given that I have no faith that he actually holds on to that closer's job for, you know, a long period of time. Agree with that. And you mentioned Kenley Jansen. Uh, I think everyone here will agree that he's probably going to be the closer wherever he goes. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to get a quick yes from everybody. Can everybody give me a probability that he lands back in Los Angeles? I personally think pretty high, but that's... I would say 75%. Wow. Ruben? Yeah, I think close to that also because he's had medical issues before, and that's close to where his doctors are. I don't think he's going to want to move and move his family either. Well, the medical perspective. Why not? I love it. Listen, Mike Hampton went to Colorado because of the school system, right? So, I mean, <laughs> yeah. it could be anything. Uh, I'm going to put the odds a little lower. I, I think he... I think the Dodgers would take him back, but on probably like a one-year deal. And I think he's going to want a two- to three-year deal to go somewhere, which means you're going to see a team like maybe Texas or Boston or somebody else give him that two- to three-year deal with the security. Uh, I just don't think the Dodgers are going to be willing to give him a three-year contract for everything that you just cited. I am with Greg here. I'm going to give him a 30% chance of returning. Uh, Me thinks that Freddie Freeman has a good chance of signing there. And, Mm -hmm. uh, I think that they want to make that commitment instead of commit to Kenley Jansen and his money request. So I, I agree with that. But he's I think he's the closer wherever he goes. So I think you can safely draft him actually anywhere. And that was actually what I was going to say is just when I mentioned that I wanted one of the relievers in that kind of top 10, Jansen's been the one I've been getting the most because he falls into like the 90s, right. the 80s and 90s in a lot of drafts. And I think if he was on a team right now, he'd be going at least 20 picks higher than he's going. So Jansen and Kimbrell are the two guys who I feel like are going to see massive ADP jumps when they inevitably either sign or get traded. So, you know, early on, at least, those are the guys I have the most exposure to because they've been falling the farthest of my personal kind of top tier, top, you know, group of solid closers. I found myself taking Trinan more only because he's going cheaper than Jansen, and I think that Trinan's going to be the guy. I mean, he's he was phenomenal, so uh, I think that's 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 what I think there. Uh, I want to jump to uh, Washington. I've never heard anybody talk about Washington's situation. Um, for good reason. For good reason. <laughs> for good reason. Yeah. You know, last year I was all over Tanner Rainey as the guy, and he has some the stuff, although his numbers were atrocious. Um, why is nobody taking any part of any situation? I mean, people have taken the Colorado and and Baltimore situations faster than Washington. I think I have not seen anybody, maybe one draft where somebody took a chance on Rainey. Uh, I, I did. Yeah. I took, oh, okay. I took, go, go for it. I took Rainey in TGFBI. Um, I took him late, and I took him as my as my reliever three, my, my third reliever, so I've feel like at that point I was I was rolling the dice but but I just look at it as you know last year was a was a very bad year I don't think that anybody would tell you otherwise 
but you know he's been a really good reliever at the major league level I mean his his 2019 and 2020 even though you know we know it's abbreviated 2020 were were really strong the issue for him is command right so his his 2019 was fairly solid but his walk rate was crazy high and last year his walk rate was crazy high um it wasn't in the short part of 2020 and you know you could make the argument that it would have been had the season gone on we just don't know because it was it was a really short season but i think that slider is a legitimately good pitch um he has good velocity at 96 97 so for me it's really just like if his command is there he's going to be a strong reliever and if his command isn't there then you know you can you know churn him and find somebody else but right now he's going pick 377 so that's not a lot of risk you're taking on your roster yeah i I like taking him late because it's a binary decision either he does well in spring and you you feel good about it and if in spring he has no command and he starts the season looking rough then he's an easy cut and you move on but but i'd rather go with the upside that finnegan doesn't miss enough bats for me okay okay um philadelphia Corey knable I've been drafting Corey Knable in a bunch of leagues, and people are like, I don't know. Well, there's injury issues. I'm going to start with Ruvain. Do you have any issue with Corey Knable? And, I mean, to me, he's the the closer. They they signed him to be it, right? Yes. And and Gir- I, you got Girardi, right? Girardi yes. is a one-closer kind of guy, I, th- I think, right? Yes, right? and I did, ta- I did take him as my second closer in TGFBI because I think he will be the closer. He signed a one-year deal for $10 million. He wouldn't do that unless he got the guarantee that he was going to be the closer to build up his value. I mean, he was so good last year. Um, there's really no one else there who can really close in Philadelphia unless they go sign someone else, but they just say, ready to sign Corey Knable. You're going to sign your setup man for $10 million? I don't see the Phillies doing that, especially now that Hector Neris is gone, so you know, he doesn't have to worry about him anymore. The only other guy on that roster right now who can even sneeze at him or have a chance to be close to a closer is Sir Anthony Dominguez because he's done it before, but Alvarado? he's had injury issues also. Alvarado is just too wild. He's too wild. Yeah, That's man. why I didn't mention him. He's just too wild. Yeah, I, yeah. I agree with the Knable things. I just think you have to plan on at least one once they're gonna give him at least one ten day off. You know what I mean? Okay. You know, a, okay. you wanna call it a Dodgeritis IL trip. He's he's gonna get one time just to keep him fresh, maybe two, uh, and just see what happens. But when they did their lockout thing on the athletic today, they said the team's looking to get obviously an outfielder and they wanna get a couple setup guys, but it had nothing about splashing. I know people keep thinking that Kimbrel might get traded there because they want Segura to go to the White Sox, but I, I don't see that happening. What about the Cubs situation? Uh, Cody Hoyer, is a little bit of news, he's out for the year. Does that mean that Rowan Wick could be the guy and will run with it and save 25 games at least, Derek? I mean, I, I thought that Rowan Wick was going to be the guy before. Um, I just had more faith in him, you know, Gre- and Greg put me on to him because last year when he was – you know, rehabbing, um, Greg was talking a lot about, you know, that he might be the favorite for saves in Chicago at the end of the year post-deadline. Um, and, you know, there was a decent amount to like there. The, the You know, the walk rate was a little high, but you're talking about a pitcher coming off of injury and, and command can be tricky in that sense. Um, but I think that Rowan Wick is a, is a pretty solid arm, and I just really don't see anybody... Um, you know, there's Rodriguez in that bullpen, but I don't necessarily really think that he's going to take that job. I think, you know, he 
he had really solid performance on the curve and the cutter last year. Um, and then there's also the fastball with decent velocity. So I think he has two complementary offerings to a solid but not spectacular fastball. And I think I think you can make that work. It, for me, it'll depend on who they add, if they add people in free agency. Yeah. Um, and if you want a deep sleeper, Scott Efrost. He's he's a he's a really good K to BB guy. And I think Gre- Greg's point is good. I've heard a lot of people suggest that you know the the signing of of guys like Marcus Stroman suggested that you know the Cubs aren't going full rebuild. You know they signed Stroman, they signed Wade Miley. Um, there's a chance that they traded at the deadline last year to get a lot of prospects and then are going to use their cap space and or use their money and sign players back and try to compete. Um, so that could be a possibility where they add a, a closer um, or a guy to compete with Wick if they yeah. don't like, you know, go and get like a, a, a kind of a higher profile reliever. If Tapera goes back there, I'd be very interested in Tapera. And speak speak. Speaking of Marcus Stroman, do you look at the bullpen and look at the closer situations and think, you know what, this closer situation is not that stable. I don't want to draft a, a fourth or fifth or third starter on the team because they may lose wins because of the bullpen. Well, I, you say that, but I mean, God, the the Brewers bullpen blew me so many wins down the stretch for Brandon Woodruff last year. I was pulling my hair out. Also, you know, I. Somebody mentioned this the other day. I, I forget who it was. I think it may have been Vlad Sedler. But, like, Kyle Hendricks got 14 wins last year. <laughs> I mean, he he was on a terrible Cubs, Cubs team, and he had the worst year of his career, and he got 14 wins. So if a guy with a 477 ERA on one of the worst teams in baseball can get 14 wins, I'm not going to I'm not going to speculate on who's going to get wins and who's not going to get wins and write off a pitcher just because of that. Didn't they have Kimbrell to close out games also last year? Only in the first half. Or in the first half. In the first yeah. half, yes, correct, correct. Eh, maybe he'll come back. You don't have to go very far. Right? <laughs> Who knows? Um, there you go. Uh, I mean, we've, there's a lot of situations we could talk about. Hopefully we've given uh, our audience here a, a lot of situations and a lot of insight. But before, you know, we, we wrap up with mailbag and injury stuff, um, you guys are the are the saves and relievers guys. Maybe each of you can throw a couple of dark horses. You mentioned Efrost, but maybe what are a couple of other dark horses that might pick up significant saves that you might want to take with your very last pick of your draft? I'll go first because Greg has more. You have more names than me, and if you say my names, I'm I'm gonna have nothing. Um, so I just want to highlight two guys you already mentioned uh, just in this. Ryan Tapera is a reliever recon favorite. Um, we really like his skills, so depending on where he goes, um, he could be a really solid option. And Chris Stratton in Pittsburgh are, are guys that were already mentioned. I really like throwing a last round pick on AJ Puck. I mm-hmm. think Puck. I think Puck is a reliever now. I don't think that the Athletics uh, want him or trust him to be a starter. Um, I think he's got. I still think the talent is there. He's got really good swing and miss stuff. Um, and they have shown in the past that they don't necessarily care if their primary closer is right-handed or left-handed, and I don't think that Lee Trevino is the closer. And also, there's rumors all over the place that you know they're going to trade Matt Olson. They they might trade Matt Chapman. They might trade Chris Bassett. That it's not a team that's looking to compete right now. 
So I don't really see them throwing a lot of money to bring in a late inning reliever if you're not going to try to compete. So if it's just Trevino in the bull, Trevino in the bullpen to start out, I, I think that Puck has a really good chance to to move his way into at worst a timeshare if not taking over that job. Yeah, I'll just piggyback on that. I mean, if there's somebody that can take like an Andrew Miller leap in the bullpen, it would be Puck. That they have very similar uh, attributes and pitch mix and, and and effects with those pitches. Uh, so, so some sleepers. I'm a little nervous about Chapman this year, so I, I'm going to be targeting a lot of Jonathan Loizaga. I think if they transition him into a one inning role, uh, I think he could be. He could be very good. If you look at his StatCast page, it's all red. Uh, and he down the stretch, he was very, very good, especially with the K to BB, and he gained velocity in the bullpen. Uh, he was 97th percentile in, in fastball velocity last year in the majors. Uh, in Colorado, we didn't really touch upon them, but I, I think a sleeper out there could be Robert Stevenson. I think he had a 25-5 to 5 K to BB from August on last year. kind of flew below the radar. In Kansas City, a sleeper to me is Dylan Coleman. Uh, I think Seattle, if they their luck kind of runs out this year and things normalize in their one-run contest and records, if they don't contend, uh, they signed Andres Munoz to a very team-friendly deal buying out his arbitration year. So if they decide that they're going to flip Giles and do some other things with that bullpen, you can see him get second-half saves. Uh, Art Warren in Cincinnati, and we, we talked about Bender, and my, my sleeper in Baltimore is actually Jorge Lopez. He transitioned to some relief outings at the end of the year, and again, I don't trust anything that they do, but he, he could be somebody in very, very deep leagues that could get you a couple of ultra wins and maybe be uh, evolve as a reliever with strikeout upside. So there's a bunch of names there. I love it. And also Alex Wright. Alex Reyes is going after pick 300. Um, and, oh, sorry, Jordan Hicks is, is going super late. Alex Reyes, their Genesis Cabrera. I mean, there's a lot of guys in Seattle if Giovanni Gallegos isn't going to be the guy. St. Louis. St. Louis. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yes. I, I saw that S and my brain is going to Seattle. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, in St. Louis, if Giovanni Gallegos isn't going to be the guy, and I think we, we all kind of think he's not going to be just kind of the guy that's going to be a little bit of a timeshare or a split in, the, in that situation. Yeah, all the quotes there are so cryptic, it drives me nuts. Now, you mentioned Art Warren. How secure is Lucas Sims in his job? I know he had a little injury issue last year, and Art Warren was very good, under the radar, very, very good. He's capering on like over 14, and he has closer stuff. Do you think he ends up the closer there? In Cincinnati? Well, the, the the problem with the Reds is is they're 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 one of these teams. Ever since they traded Rizel, and the reason Iglesias wanted to be traded was they were trying to get him to say, hey, you know, let's pitch in some eighth inning and seventh inning. And Rizel was like, no, thank you, I want the ninth. And he he kind of the team was good. He asked his way out, and they granted him that trade. Uh, last year, there was four different relievers led led the Reds in saves for the month. The reliever with the most saves in any month for the Reds last year was Heath Hembry with seven, and then he got cut in August. <laughs> so um, I, I just don't like how the Reds do it. now. You, and you spoke about Sims. Sims was terrific when he came back from the injured list last year. I mean, he was their best pitcher from August on in the bullpen, and they were given save chances to Michael Gibbons with, a, I think, a 14-12 to 12 K to BB. So I, I, 
the Reds bullpen, the way that Bell and uh, pitching coach Johnson use them is, is they're almost using it fungible like other teams where they want Sims to get the most important outs and then they'll figure out the last three. That's the only thing that worries me there. I, I like from a skill standpoint, I really like Sims and Warren. I just want to, I, I just don't know how Bell's going to use any of them. We can talk about all this and then Luis Cecil lead them in saves and we're all going to be like, what the hell happened? Greg, uh, we didn't talk about this in the strategy section, but I think it's really important to talk about this. Um, you know, let's say you're in season. You want you don't want to bid on a player in the waiver wire that, oh, he's now the closer. <laughs> now you got to spend 15% of your fab to try to even get the guy. You generally want to get the guy when he's 2% of your fab mm-hmm. a week earlier. Mm-hmm. What are the indications and what should you be looking for on a week-to-week basis at the box scores as to who the next guy to pick up and when should you act? Like, Can you give us a little bit of action points on how to play the waiver wire? Yeah, I, what we're trying to do is is see guys who are, are, are changing in the leverage ladder. So he went from the 7th, now he's up into the 8th inning. Or... Um, if he's being in those highest leverage moments that I keep referencing, and Fangraphs have some really good, uh, if you use the uh, win probability area, uh, there's a GMLI and, and other stuff in there that kind of lets you get a, it gives you a framework of who's getting the highest leverage situations for that team, and it might be a precursor to this is going to be the next guy up. And there's also the metrics with the shutdowns and meltdowns. Um, a shutdown is an appearance that helps your team or gives them a better chance of winning. Whereas a meltdown, you come in and, and and you obviously don't do well, but guys who are very good at getting shutdowns and limit meltdowns, these are other people that transition up. So uh, as an example, I I think at one point last year, uh, Hayter was tied with uh, a couple of other guys in the WPA, but the guy that he was tied with was not a closer, but he was giving you those those chances to win to his team that that made them people to look for so and 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 you spoke to the point whereas last year think of all the fob money that was spent on blue jays reds relievers and all these other guys people were chasing the saves from last week not the saves two weeks in advance and that's 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 the hardest part of the game but that's also it, it takes the work in tracking those things and seeing the trends. But I also pay attention to the managers. So when I'm saying the Reds drive me crazy, the Orioles drive me crazy, and things of that nature, that usually means I'm tending to stay away from those teams unless they come out and say something otherwise. Yeah, and of course, I do recommend that you follow uh, Greg and Eric uh, from uh, Reliever Recon. Uh, It's a fantastic Patreon site. It's only a couple bucks a month, and they do fantastic work. I do recommend you take a look at it. Subscribe. I do. Uh, so I, I uh, definitely approve it. A couple of mailbag questions here uh, from Adam. In a league where you receive equal credit for saves and holds, is it better to A, diversify the teams your relievers play for, or B, try to stack relievers on a couple of MLB teams that project to be good or very good, assuming all pitchers in this scenario are equal uh, of equal quality? And by the way, thank you for all of your work on these podcasts. Really enjoy them and the approach from a strategy perspective. You're very welcome, Adam. Let's say you, uh, let's start with Eric. So is the question that if it's, if it weights, saves and holds equally, yes. do I, do I just, am I focusing on the, the role or the pitcher, I guess? No, he's asking, of, he's I, asking, should you, stack. should you stack a team like the Dodgers oh, or are you just getting guys? Should, should you get, Diaz, yeah. should you get Edwin Diaz and Trevor May or is it better not to do that? Um, 
I, I think there's some validity to that. I mean, you know, I was looking at right now, uh, earlier on when we were, when we was on the rundown, I was looking at the holds leaders and, you know, the top 12 holds leaders are all from playoff teams and there's a lot of duplicates, right? The Braves had three, the Braves had three guys in the top eight in holds with Luke Jackson, Tyler Matzik, AJ Minter. Uh, the Cardinals had two in Genesis Cabrera and Giovanni Gallegos. And then we know Gallegos, you know, wound up in the closers role at the end of the year. Um, you know, so, so you know, uh, the Brewers had Boxberger and Devin Williams. So I, I think if there is a really good bullpen, that's also a really good team. I think there is definitely some validity in, in stacking. Um, but I think that there's, I can really only think of maybe like six or seven teams that I would want to do that with. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that, uh, I, I wouldn't go with the approach to stack or to not stack, right? But it's okay to stack, and as you as you pointed out, uh, the the save plus holds is going to be for the better teams. So if you if you can get guys on good teams, whether they're stacking or not, it doesn't matter. And I think you need to look at it's not just the best teams. Like for example, the Dodgers only had one guy in the top thirty four in holds last year, and that was Blake Trinan. So if you're like, oh, the Dodgers are really good, I'm just going to stack their relievers, that doesn't necessarily help you. You have to look at the team, but also the skills and the usage of the of the team. Yeah. Um, question from uh, Siv and also from uh, Ari Rubin. And by the way, Ari is going to be uh, playing in my softball league, I believe. So uh, here's a, a, a little plug here. If you want to play softball on uh, weekday nights, on Tuesday nights in New York, Long Island, let me know. We can sign you up for a fantastic softball league. We do recruiting on air, right, Ruve? Sure, you do. Uh, <laughs> well, anyways, uh, anyways, uh, the questions are very similar. Who are your favorite middle relievers for holds and ratios? Who are some great relief pitchers for holds? And Fulmer or Soto in Detroit? Well, we've talked about that. But can you give us uh, some good uh, uh, just middle relievers for ratios and some great uh, relief pitchers for holds? Uh, I mean... It's, I, I do that on a regular occasion. Let me just pull up the closer charts. I mean, uh, when, I, when I'm doing that stuff, I'll be looking at uh, Hector Neris this year because he'll be setting up in Houston. Uh, let's see. Uh, da, 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 da. Again, Loisica, Chad Green, you can't go wrong with either of them. Paul Seawald. We flip over to the National League. Uh, he already talked about Luke Jackson and Tyler Matzik. One of those guys can end up taking over if Will Smith falls out of favor. Uh, Devin Williams is elite in this sort of a category. And, you know, I like Trevor May this year. So those are, those are some of the guys that I would be targeting. And again, of course, you've got the rubber arm Tyler Rogers who could just pitches all the time and soaks up to all those holds in the, in the eighth inning. We're just waiting to see what the role is for Trinan. If Jansen went back to L.A., then Trinan is also elite in this role. I, and you mentioned Colin McHugh before. I really like Colin McHugh this year um, as a ratio middle reliever. Um, and then also Greg, uh, somebody Greg didn't mention, I, I like Aaron Bummer a lot in Chicago. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well. he'll bounce back well. That's a great call. Yeah, him and uh, Tim Miza as a, as a lefty would strike out upside for the Blue Jays because he can still get you in like a couple of outs but get – you know, if he comes in to face two lefties in the eighth inning, he still gets a hold. 
And and if all if all else fails, go for the Tampa Bay Rays because they always <laughs> find somebody. Mm-hmm. And and every year, even if they're not projected to win their division, that bullpen is always so good. Those ratios are always so good. They keep pumping them out. They trade them and they get someone else. They trade them. They get someone else. So they're very good with that. Great stuff. All right, moving. Time for your injury update. With now now that the lockout is over, I expect to be you to be so busy in the next. 12 hours from now? Well, uh, no, right? actually, I'm probably going to start being busy around Monday or Tuesday when the players start to report. Because right. the players, that's when they're going to be fully reported and taking their physicals and everything like that. So my report now is just based on still social media and everything like that. Uh, Shane Bieber actually said on social media that he has been 100% for a while now. So he should be good to go to start the season and he should be hopefully elite if everything has cleared up. Corbin Carroll, top prospect for the Diamondbacks, has been fully cleared for spring training. Last year he did need shoulder surgery, but he seems to be okay from then. Um, Two um, Angels, Mike Trout, Anthony Rendell. Anthony Rendon coming back from a hip hamstring issue. He's a full go once the spring training starts. Same with Mike Trout. He's a full go. Max Muncy actually said in an interview this past week that he's resumed swinging and expects to be ready for the start of the season. However, he still has a torn UCL in his left elbow. He did not have surgery. So you don't know. He may be a ticking timeout. Be careful with that. Uh, another guy who had a torn UCL is Jake Rogers. This is for deeper leagues. He's good for us. He used to be good as a backup catcher. He's on the Tigers. He's begun a f- throwing program. He's someone who can actually be coming back mid-season, I would say. Um, usually uh, catchers who come back from Tommy John, they come back quicker. A comp is uh, Travis Darno. Travis Darno actually had a full year coming back after Tommy John surgery, and he was actually better after that. Royce Lewis has received full clearance for spring training as well. He had a knee injury, had an uh, ACL surgery in February of 2021. He just wasn't in the the spring training for now because he's actually on the Twins 40-man roster, so you'll see him on Sunday or Monday. And this last one, Jamison Tyon. This is interesting. Luke Voigt said that Tyon looked good in his recent throwing sessions. That's the news, and that's how I was getting these updates through the lockout. We're getting it through teammates who are commenting on their on their teammates. Well, Ruvain, amazing work. Uh, you had not much to go by, but you did really good uh, reconnaissance work there, and hopefully your job gets a lot easier in the near future, but, you know, great stuff. Um, yep. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, thanks so much, guys. Uh, you know, again, I mentioned about Reliever Recon, and, you know, maybe, Greg, you can tell a bit more about it, but uh, you guys do really great work, and definitely the go-to resource uh, for all reliever stuff. Uh, Greg, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about Reliever Recon, a little bit about what you do, and uh, I know you're at The Athletic and great stuff there, and, you know, just everything Greg Jewett. <laughs> all right, so, yeah, uh, you know, the, the columns now that the lockout has ended, uh, Nando just emailed everybody to get our stuff ready to go. Uh, so the, I usually do a column weekly about closers there, and then uh, the daily stuff is all on Reliever Recon. It's only... $3 a month. It includes my closer charts, which I've been providing for years. I update them daily, uh, and that also tracks who's like in the ninth, eighth, seventh inning and things of that nature. Uh, we also have the bullpen guru who will have a, a daily streaming sheet for those people playing like head-to-head leagues that have daily moves. He tracks all the guys from the Rays and the Dodgers, and the first guy after the starters that will be vulturing those wins. Uh, we have Aaron Pags and Nate Markham who do our weekly podcasts and other contributions. Um, Eric, actually, congratulations to him, just got a, a full-time uh, writing job, but he'll still be able to do some things on the side. He, he does a lot of our video work, and he's done a couple of uh, really good articles, including his 15-team flow chart. 
Uh, so we have all kinds of content rolling out there, including the player profiles and other things. And I'm happy you're a satisfied customer and we're, we're honored to have you with us. And uh, thank you for the kind words and keep up all the great work. So looking forward to actually having real baseball to talk and write about. Absolutely. And uh, also, Eric, congratulations on two FSWA awards mm-hmm. for uh, best series in both baseball and football. Thank that's you. a combo that's hard to do. That's pretty good. Congratulations. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. And we'll actually, you know, now that we have spring training, um, I'll get to, you know, get, do season two of the, the column that won the baseball series, um, which was pitchers with new pitches and should we care? Um, where I basically look at, you know, pitchers who are debuting new pitches um, over spring training and to see if that actually should matter or not in the way we evaluate the pitcher. Does it mit- does it mesh well with their overall pitch mix? Will it add a new dimension? Um, things like that. So that'll be coming when spring training comes, um, uh, as I'm still doing a lot of content for, for Rotoballer. Uh, Greg mentioned, you know, I'll be doing a lot of videos, uh, you know, for Reliever Recon and the 12 team version of the flow chart will now come uh, now that we have baseball again um we were waiting on the 12 team version um after we put the 15 version out so that will be next week um and then we'll get a lot of kind of like you know pitcher breakdowns and stuff like that um with video content as well definitely check out award-winning series starts again you can't miss that and uh eric's video skills is absolutely fantastic uh, I mean, he, he did a video uh, for, for me for some of my work with ATC. I don't know if you've checked that out, but top-notch stuff, really. Eric put that whole thing together. I just applied some of the audio, and he made me sound good. So thank you, thank, Eric, for that. Thank you. And actually, you could check out um, – we'll, we'll use some of the you know the risk profile. Uh, that, and we'll, we mention a lot of the ATC projections in a new Rotoballer video that I have coming out um, on, on how to prep for your fantasy baseball draft going through all the things that you should be doing before the draft even starts. Um, and there's a bunch of hat tip stuff for using projections like ATC. Uh, so you can check that out on Rotoballer um, sometime this weekend uh, now that baseball's back. Looking forward to that. All right, Ruvain, how about you? You can follow me on Twitter at MLB Injury Guru, where finally we'll start getting the injury updates on all these players who are injured coming into the offseason. I mean, it took long enough. I don't have to get an uh, Instagram account, thank God. Um, you can also follow my weekly Rotoballer article, which discusses all these injuries throughout the entire season. It's a weekly article that comes out on Saturday, and you can see who's injured, who's next up, and keep track of everything. Well, I'm Ariel Cohen. You can find my work over at Fangraphs, over at Rotoballer. ATC projections are up on those sites and on CBS Sportsline. And you can follow me on Twitter at ATCNY. Of course, you can listen to me right here on the Beat the Shift podcast every week. Um, and uh, as we mentioned at the top of the show, we have official Beat the Shift podcast T-shirts. Oh, my God. Uh, the guys at RotoWare did a tremendous design. You can actually see literally beating the shift, and it has all the fan graphs and ATC emblems on it. Uh, support the show and definitely get it. If you are, are enjoying the show, definitely get a T-shirt and show your swag. Take some pictures. Post it all over social media. And, uh, Ruvina, how many did you buy? Did you buy 20 of them? Um, no. 10? No. Two? I, I, I bought, I mean, I'm one person. How many shirts do I need? So, yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I, I got one, yes. Um, and I look forward to maybe seeing you wearing one of those while you're playing softball on Sunday morning, which you're drafting yeah. people for, right? 
Absolutely, yes, <laughs> definitely. Uh, a lot of advertisements. We usually don't do any advertisements on the show, but uh, hey, a little bit of pep. We're excited for a brand new season. It's going to be spring very soon. Just another ten days till spring starts officially in the world. So there you go. Well, once again, thank you so much, Greg Jewett, Eric Samolski for coming on the show. This was fantastic, uh, getting us updated on all of the reliever situations. And from Ruven and I over here at Beat the Shift, everyone have a great season coming at you in April 7th, opening day. We'll see you next time on Beat the Shift. Thanks for listening to the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangress. Follow us on Twitter at beat underscore shift underscore pod.